to Paul's letter to Titus. We'll read a couple of verses out of uh, chapter 3. And as I mentioned before that um, Carl is speaking on that topic of uh, regeneration. And just before we read that, let me share uh, a story about a pastor who... um, who lives on a, on a church block, okay? And uh, he lives in a manse and there's a church next to him. And um, one morning he wakes up and he discovers uh, that his bicycle is missing. And that annoyed him because his bicycle was his only means of transport to go and pass the flock. And what's more, he suspected someone. But how do you confront someone when it's only an assumption? He said, I know what I'll do. I'll have a series of sermons on the Ten Commandments. And when I get to commandment number eight, thou shalt not steal, I'll really hammer the point home and prick his conscience and all will be well. So off he launches into this sermon of series uh, on the Ten Commandments. And it wasn't until he got to commandment number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery, that he remembered where he left his bike. That's the danger of assumptions, isn't it? But what's more, it's how the word of God convicts us, doesn't it? The word of God convicts us. And um, we've got lots to learn, haven't we? Let's turn to uh, Titus. Chapter 3 from verse 3, and we'll just go to verse 7. The word of God where it says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, Deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. What a passage. Let's read it again. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, Deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Amen. There's a pen here, but I'm just going to let it go. Possibly. Cover it up with my Bible. Well, we're, uh, we're uh, 
almost at the end of our seven-week series that we've been doing. Uh, if you're visiting here for the first time today, we've been doing a, a series on uh, salvation words, the words that the Bible uses and that Christians use to describe what it is that we mean when we say that God saves us. What does God do in saving us? How does God do it? And if you've been here for a number of them, you may have noticed, I'm not sure whether you did or not, that many of the words that we've looked at, even though they're salvation words, they're words that Christians use, they're actually words that are used all the time in society as well. So we've looked at words like grace, atonement, conversion, and justification. They're religious words, but they're actually all words that people use in uh, books and films and newspaper articles uh, and whatever else it is, uh, they're words that people use. And regeneration, actually, the word that we're looking at this morning, is no different. It's not uncommon if you go to a coastal area, uh, you know, sort of to a beach or something, that on the sand dunes, as you're walking up to the beach, that there are signs and there are fenced-off areas. Uh, and the signs say something like, Coastal regeneration area. It's fenced off so that you can't walk on it because they're trying to regrow the vegetation. Uh, After a bushfire, you often hear people in the news talking about how long it will take for the bush to regenerate. People talk about regenerating historic towns. This is a headline from an ABC Online article from earlier in the year. Uh, about a property in Goulburn in New South Wales called Riversdale. It's just a random article. The headline says, Riversdale Regeneration as Goulburn's Original Site Turns Over a New Leaf. And the article goes on to say, when Ros Loftus arrived at the historic Riversdale property in Goulburn four years ago, she found a neglected garden in decay as the area had just suffered an eight-year drought. How times have changed along with her co-manager, Dawn Giles, they've resurrected the property, which was the original site of Goulburn in 1820. Regeneration, uh, although it might seem a religious word, is a word that people use all the time. To most people it means a new start, perhaps not a completely new start, but the restoration of something that has fallen into disrepair, a resurrection even. Well, what does the Bible say about uh, the word regeneration? Well, the word itself is actually only used a couple of times in the Bible, twice in the New Testament. Once in that passage that we read before, that Ben read from Titus chapter 3, verse 5, where it says that God saved us through the washing of rebirth. Rebirth is really regeneration there. Uh, Although, as we'll see a bit later on, that those two concepts are very similar. So Titus 3 is a great passage about regeneration. It tells us that regeneration is somehow a bit like washing. It tells us that regeneration is a work that God does. It's not because of anything we had done, says Titus, but because of God's mercy. It tells us that regeneration is somehow bound up with justification. We looked at that last week. God's end time verdict, but given in the present that we're righteous in Jesus Christ, that we're right with God, that we're not guilty. 
This passage tells us that regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet, for all that the passage tells us about regeneration, it doesn't actually give us a whole lot of detail on what it is. What does regeneration mean? The only other place in the New Testament where that word is used, where regeneration is used, is in Matthew 19.28. If you've got a Bible open with you, it might help to turn back to Matthew 19. Matthew is the first uh, gospel in the New Testament. Matthew 19.28, and we'll read from a little bit before that, Matthew 19.23. Matthew writes, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Sorry, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Jesus is talking about the new kingdom that God is establishing through Jesus and he's saying that it's impossible for human beings to get in by themselves. And so the disciples want to know, well, who gets to be part of it then? If we, if we can't get in by our own uh, strength and effort, then who can get in? And Jesus says, well, what's impossible with, with, with man is possible with God. And in fact, the disciples themselves will be part of God's kingdom and part of what he also calls in verse 28, the renewal of all things. That uh, renewal of all things is literally regeneration. Jesus is saying to be part of God's kingdom is to be part of the regeneration, the renewal of the world. The English word regeneration comes actually from a Latin word, regenerare or something like that. I don't really know Latin, but uh, that's what the Oxford Dictionary told me. Uh, and that, that word, Latin word, means basically create again, which that word in itself is a almost direct translation of the Greek word, which is here, which Matthew used, uh, palingenesia, or if you like, palingenesis, which is actually an English word. But that is the sandwiching together of two other Greek words. Palin, which means again, right? And Genesis, which we all know, right? Genesis, the first book of the Bible, which just means beginning. So what does regeneration mean? What does it mean? It means to begin again. It means that what God is doing here in Jesus, this kingdom of God, is like Genesis, but again, The world being put back to how it was always supposed to be when God created it, but it was distorted by sin. Regeneration is a new beginning or a new creation. 
And although that word regeneration isn't used much elsewhere in the Bible, it's only those two times, the New Testament and the Bible uses lots of other words and phrases to pick up that same concept. So it uses words like new birth. That's a new beginning. Born again. Transparently, it's the same uh, kind of idea. In Titus, uh, he uses the washing of regeneration and renewal. He uses the word renewal as well. In Romans chapter 8, Paul picks up on this same idea when he talks about the frustration of our created world, uh, its frustration because of sin, and he, he talks about God's plan to renew the creation. He says in Romans 8, 18, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And Paul says to Titus that those who trust in Jesus have been saved through the washing of regeneration by the Spirit, he means that in some way God's new creation, that new creation that the whole creation is groaning for, in some way God's new creation has begun already in us. Paul says in Romans 8, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We're already a taste of that restored creation. Sometimes people ask what the difference is between the work of the Holy Spirit now and the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was certainly at work in the Old Testament. He's on so many of the pages of the Bible. It was equipping people, speaking through people, enabling people to trust God and to live holy lives. So what's the difference? The difference, I think, is this that this side of Jesus' death and resurrection, the Spirit makes us part of the new age because the Spirit reunites us with Jesus and Jesus has begun the new creation in himself. He is the first fruits himself of the new creation and we share in that with him. Well, that renewal and regeneration Uh, the Bible says, changes our lives. Paul uses that uh, in Titus, that peculiar phrase, the washing of regeneration. And in doing that, he's picking up on on an Old Testament promise made through the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, where God promises that a day is coming when he will sprinkle clean water on you, he says, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave to your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God." 
The particular way in which we share in the new creation in Jesus is that God takes away our hard hearts and gives us new hearts so that we follow him and obey him. Participation in the new creation inevitably means new life. It's participation in the world where God, where Jesus reigns and where people follow him and obey him. Well, what does it look like? What does it look like in our lives to be part of that new creation? So many places in the New Testament urge us to live in this world not as people of this creation, but of people of the new creation. So take Galatians chapter 5. The acts of the sinful nature, so sinful nature is in kind of the, the, uh, the nature that we have, that we're born with. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The old age, the old creation, that's what it looks like. Instead, Paul goes on to say, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature that's dead with its passions and desires. And they live according to the new age, the new creation in Christ Jesus. What does it look like to be part of the new creation? It looks like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Or Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What are those things? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all these things. Paul goes on to say, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self, taken that off with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of, in the image of its creator. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What does it look like to be part of the new creation? It means to put off those things of the old nature and to put on the likeness of Jesus Christ. What is regeneration? Regeneration is a participation now in the new creation. But in some ways, regeneration is a present but imperfect reality. Regeneration is a present but imperfect reality. 
So there are hints already of that in that passage from Romans 8. If you've got your Bible open still, you might want to flick to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, chapter 23. So Paul has said, not only so, that is not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that is, participants in the new creation, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So if we're in Jesus, what Paul is saying, if we're in Jesus, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, but we don't have everything, we eagerly await the redemption of our bodies. That is the hope, Paul says, in which we were saved. Not just be raised spiritually, but to be raised Entirely new people with new, with new bodies, not subject to sin and decay. Uh, that same theme comes up earlier in that chapter, in verse 9. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, here it is, your body is dead because of sin, Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. We've been raised with Christ spiritually. The Holy Spirit is in us, but our bodies are dead because of sin. And so we eagerly await the fulfillment of everything, that is, the redemption of our bodies. We live, in other words, in between times. We live in the already, but the not yet. We have a part of the fulfilment of God's promise, but we don't have everything yet. Arguably, uh, chapters 6 to 8 of Romans are, uh, is discussing, those chapters are discussing these competing realities. In those chapters, Paul is wrestling with what seems to be the incomprehensible juxtaposition of these two different things, that he has this redemption in Christ, and yet he seems to still be afflicted by sin. He delights in the law, in his innermost being, he says in chapter 7. His desire is to follow Christ with all his heart, and yet there are times when his best intentions are foiled by the sin that remains. And the truth is, isn't it, that so often it can seem like that. We strive to follow God, but we seem to be foiled. Our best laid plans come to nothing. We set out to have a great day of service to God. Today is going to be a great day. Today I am going to be kind to my colleagues at work. I'm going to love my family. I'm going to help the kids get the breakfast together, help them get off to school. And what happens? 
Someone comes at work with a stupid request and you get angry with them. And you end up not talking to them for the rest of the day. You know, try to get the kids ready for school and they're dragging their feet. And someone spills the milk over the kitchen table and you've got to clean it up and you're late for work and the kids are late for school and you get angry. Your best laid plans. Today was going to be my day for God. And it ends up being such a letdown. It's not that other people let us down, is it? No, but it's that we let ourselves down. We're incapable of living up to the desires and the aspirations, the hopes that we have for ourselves. It's not that there are no victories. Please, please don't think that. There are victories in the Christian life. There is progress by God's grace. We are not what we once were. But the truth is, too, that there are still defeats. John Calvin was right uh, when he wrote, in the saints, that is in Christians, until they are divested of their mortal bodies, there is always sin, for in their flesh resides that depravity of inordinate desiring which contends against righteousness. It's a great phrase, isn't it? In us resides that depravity of inordinate desiring which contends against righteousness. And yet, Paul says, thanks be to God. Because in Jesus, he has crucified our sinful natures. He's put them to death. And through the Spirit, he has given life to our minds to understand the things of God to know the truth, to believe it, to be changed, to be transformed, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Thanks be to God who gives us life and who at the last day will raise us up to be like Jesus. You see, the battle between the flesh and the Spirit, rather than a sign of death, is actually a sign of of the Christian life. We long for righteousness. We long for holiness. We desire to be like Christ. Our minds are awake to the things of God, but our flesh wages a war against us, not to overpower us, more so to make us stumble. Regeneration is about participation in the new creation that God is establishing in Jesus. It's a participation that we have in part now. And last of all, it's a participation that we have now which also seals our participation at the last day. So Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, of salvation, having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those 
who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. If we have believed in Jesus, Paul is saying, we've been marked with a seal. We've been marked with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of the redemption of our bodies at the last day. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, God set his seal of ownership on us and put in his spirit in our hearts as a, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Or to put it another way, if you like, once we've been born again, we can't be unborn. Once we've been born into the new creation, that can't be taken away from us. God's work in us through the Holy Spirit confirms to us in the present our ultimate redemption on the last day. Paul says it's like a deposit. It's like a down payment. Or it's like a seal. You know, back in the old days and people would get out the wax candle, you know, the candle, they'd melt the wax over the bottom of the document and they'd uh, get out the, the signet ring and they'd press it in. And by that they were saying that whatever was written in that contract, was gonna, they were going to keep their word. And Paul says it's the same with the Spirit in our lives. The Spirit is like a seal fixed on our hearts, which guarantees our redemption at the day of Jesus Christ. When you see the Holy Spirit at work in your life, making you like Jesus, you can know that you belong to him. When you see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, when you see those things in your life and you see those things growing in response to the gospel, when you see a spirit of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, when you see God's new creation invading your life, you know that God has sealed you now for the day of Jesus Christ. Of course, you might look at your life now and not see any evidence of a new creation or a new work in the Holy Spirit. The remedy, uh, if that's you, is to go to the cross, to go to Jesus, to know that it's not because of anything that we might do that God makes us participants in that new creation. It's God who washes us clean. It's God who does that through his justifying verdict which comes through Jesus' death on our behalf. Paul says at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and desires. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Are you foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, malicious, envious, hating and being hated? So were we all, says Paul, actually. It's not that that qualifies us or disqualifies us to be regenerated by the Spirit of God. No, 
It's the kindness of God that enables us to participate in the new creation. When the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, know only too well that we, each of us, are born sinful. We're born malicious and envious and greedy. We're born with a propensity to deny you and ignore you. And Lord, all of us are in that camp. And yet, Lord, we marvel at the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for sinners like us and was raised to everlasting life in which we share if we put our hope in him. Lord, we pray for ourselves, we pray for each other, that we all might share through the Holy Spirit in the new creation which you are rebuilding through Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.